Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Austin coming back at you with the Coffee Break Hems podcast. Today is going to be part two of our ABG Q&A session. Last week, we uh, uh, delved into really what pH is and talked about how to kind of properly interpret ABGs, talked about compensation and uh, really the uh, the um, the reasons that we probably shouldn't be like empirically treating pH and bicarb levels in the body. Uh, I thank anybody who uh, gave us another review uh, last week during our uh, during our break between these two episodes. And if you are an active listener and have not given us that five star rating, remember to do it right now. All right, let's get right into it. So question number two is how are we going to set the respiratory rate on the ventilator for a newly intubated patient who has metabolic acidosis? So let's look at this patient. He's got a septic pneumonia, pH is 7.22, which is a pretty good acidosis, has a current CO2 of 25, and that's a PCO2, has a bicarb level of 16. This patient's entitled CO2 prior to intubation was 23 and had a respiratory rate of about 24 breaths per minute. Um, so we see this ABG on this patient. This uh, has a pretty good acidosis. The CO2 is also low. Uh, those are going in the same direction, meaning that this acidosis is a metabolic problem. So remember, with metabolic problems, we need to check and see if the CO2 is appropriate. And we see that the CO2 was 25, and the two digits after the pH um, uh, are 22, right? Because the pH is 7.22. And so 22 and 25 are pretty darn close to each other. So Prior to intubation, this patient looks like they were pretty maximally uh, compensating through their respiratory buffers, right, and maximally compensating for this metabolic acidosis. And so really, I think that the basic approach uh, for this patient is to match their pre-intubation respiratory rate, right? So she was breathing 24 times per minute, and so I'm going to set a similar rate on the ventilator. Uh, but really, what we need to think about when we're starting uh, ventilator management on these patients is what really dictates the CO2 level in the body? Is it simply the respiratory rate? No, right? It's your minute volume. And so how much volume was she breathing every minute uh, per breath multiplied by her respiratory rate of 24 breaths per minute? And so if she was only breathing, you know, three or four milliliters per kilo uh, of her of her ideal body weight uh, before she was intubated because she was like tachypnic and breathing shallow, then her minute volume is actually not that high. Uh, and now that she's intubated, we're going to place her on, you know, eight milliliters per kilogram, 24 times a minute. And so all of a sudden we uh, just, you know, tripled her minute volume and we're going to start to see her CO2 precipitously dropping. And we're like, what the heck? Uh, and so we're going to have to drop our respiratory rate down a little bit. And so what's important to do is not to just match her pre-intubation respiratory rate, but use that as a starting point and then target her pre-intubation entitled CO2 instead, right? And so uh, if she has that entitled CO2 of, of whatever it was, 23 or something like that, um, then I'm going to go ahead and target that entitled CO2. And, and oftentimes, because we're going to be giving her better volumes, uh, we're going to be able to come down on that respiratory rate. But there's always the whole, you know, you're increasing dead space as soon as you, uh, as soon as you intubate her. And so it may be perfectly fine. But as a basic starting point, go ahead and match their their existing 
intrinsic respiratory rate and target their pre-intubation entitled CO2 as long as that entitled CO2 was appropriate. And we already established that it was appropriate compensation when we interpreted the ABG. All right, question number three. And this is um, uh, was a specific question as well from one of the listeners asked me actually probably two months ago to do this. And I've just haven't had the time to sit down and, and put it uh, into a podcast. But the question is like when to pull the trigger on bicarb with these patients. And uh, honestly, I mean, I would probably say like almost never uh, are we going to be using bicarb in these patients. Remember, oftentimes empirically treating a bicarbonate level is like trying to add more air into that glass, right? That had all the oils in it from last week. You're not really solving their problem. You're just trying to force air into it, right? We need to recall how bicarb is produced, right? It's made through the carbonic acid buffering system. When you combine CO2 and water, it makes hydrogen and bicarbonate. And it's also made and reabsorbed in the kidneys. And so as long as the kidneys are working, then I probably am never going to consider doing bicarb. But food for thought here. Take this patient, for example. You have a septic patient who's hypotensive. He has a profound metabolic acidosis with a pH of 7.05. He's on levofed and vasopressin and has a blood pressure of 71 over 40, so a map of you know 51 or something like that. Bicarb is not being made, right? Because the kidneys at that point are not being perfused. And so bicarb is... Uh, instantly attaching to every hydrogen that it finds because this profound acidosis needs to be buffered somehow. And it's converting all of that stuff into CO2 and water and being exhaled, hopefully through appropriate ventilator management on this patient. And so the bicarb level is going to be very low. You take this ABG on this patient and you're like, geez, he's got a bicarb of six. So how is he going to get more, right? If this patient, uh, if this patient isn't perfusing his kidneys to excrete hydrogen and reabsorb bicarb, uh, how are they going to additionally buffer? And really the answer is like, he's not in that moment. And so below a pH of 7.15, our vessels start to really be resistant to presser therapy. Below a map of 65, we're not producing our, or we're not, uh, uh, perfusing our kidneys very well. And so food for thought, if you have a super sick, hypotensive, acidotic patient uh, who's not responding to pressors and has a pH less than 7.15, I would probably call your medical director and see about maybe initiating a bicarb drip on this patient because of their renal dysfunction. Um, but in everybody else, I would probably stay clear of the bicarb. Uh, and there's lots of literature in order to back uh, back that up. But uh, just empirically giving bicarb therapy for like septic shock or DKA, just not a good idea. If you do have to do this bicarb drip because of this profound acidosis and they're not responding to pressors and their map is below 65, what we're going to do is we're going to put two to three amps of bicarb of your existing bicarb, right? And typically you're going to have either 50 milli equivalent or 100 milli equivalent amps. And you're going to put it preferably into like a free water solution in order to make a, an isotonic bicarb. So like three amps and a liter of uh, uh, free water is going to give you um, an isotonic solution. Uh, you can also put two to three uh, amps of that bicarb into a bag of uh, a liter bag of saline uh, and you'll end up delivering 
a little hypertonic solution because you have the uh, you have the uh, the serum Oz uh, of like 280 ish and a liter bag of saline, um, and then if you add another three amps of bicarb at 50 milli equivalents, then you're going to add another 150 to that. So you're going to have like a serum Oz of like uh, 420 or so uh, that you're putting into that person, but you know, they're actively dying. So let's not care about that right in this second. We just need to try to continue to, to uh, get those kidneys to perfuse again. So, you know, that being said, you know, there's really no studies that say that bicarb therapy is going to improve mortality. Um, but just, you know, just food for thought, there has been, uh, you know, an outcome uh, uh, with benefit of bicarb therapy and like acidotic patients with renal disease or dysfunction. It's actually a pretty common therapy for somebody who has uh, chronic kidney disease and things like that. So uh, uh, food for thought. All right. So the last question is how to predict, and only if like approximately, how to predict changes in pH based off of the changes we make to this patient. So let's take a DKA or, uh, and I used the DKA example, right? The dude who all of a sudden became altered and had to be intubated, um, and was placed on like quote generic event setting. So you read the previous ABG from prior to the intubation and see that the pH was 7.22, CO2 is 25. So pH is low, that's an acidosis. CO2 is low, so it's a metabolic problem, so it's a metabolic acidosis. Uh, uh, and we see a bicarbonate level of 16. Now the patient's intubated, and they have drawn a post-intubation ABG, and he has a current pH of 7.08. That sucks, because uh, it, it was 7.22, and so now it's 7.08. That's no bueno. Uh, a CO2 level is currently 43 so it's gone way up. Uh, a bicarbonate level is 18, and the patient looks like crap. So we intubated this guy, and we paralyzed him and sedated him, and we immediately took away all of his respiratory compensation, and now he is dying. So we know that we want to target that pre-intubation entitled CO2. Let's say the current entitled CO2 is 45, and the current PCO2 on the ABG is 43. So there's a two difference right now between the PCO2 and the entitled CO2. So we can assume we're going to keep that gradient um, uh, while we drop that entitled CO2. So we're going to want to drop the entitled CO2 by the same amount that we think it came up by uh, after the intubation. And so if we know that the pre-intubation uh, CO2 on the ABG, the PACO2, was 25, we're going to go ahead and drop our PACO2 down, or excuse me, our entitled CO2 down to about 27, and it's currently sitting at 45. So we're going to pick that respiratory rate up on the vent. It was at 16 breaths per minute on the ventilator right now. We're going to just pick it up to like 18 breaths per minute, like go up by two. And then we'll go, if if we plateau at an entitled CO2 of 36, then we're going to go up by another like two breaths per minute. Remember, we don't necessarily need to change this, uh, uh, change this entitled CO2 um, immediately, you know, but we're going to target an entitled CO2 somewhere between 25 and 30, and it's going to take 30 plus, you know, 40 minutes in order to, uh, in order to do that. But that's what we want to do. We want to rematch their pre-intubation entitled CO2. But how do we now predict what our pH is going to do, right? Because you're like 7.08, like, holy moly, we need to drop their CO2 a ton in order to compensate for that because remember that your CO2 should approximately be equal to those two digits after the pH. However, when you drop that CO2 down, 
you are going to be breathing off a lot of CO2. There's going to be a lot less carbonic acid in the body. There's going to be a lot less production of hydrogen in the body because your carbonic acid is going away. And so you are going to bring your pH up, right? You're going to become less acidotic if you drop your CO2. And so the general calculation, and granted these are completely approximate, the general calculation when you are looking at um, uh, pH changes, for every drop or for every change in 10 on your CO2, the pH is going to go in the opposite direction about 0.08. So if we have a, uh, a pH of 7. Uh, uh, 7.32 and we have a CO2 of 50. If we drop our CO2 down to 40, we drop it by 10, our pH is going to come up by approximately 0.08 from 7.32 all the way up to 7.4, which is perfect. And so, um, that is the general calculation. So in this particular patient, we dropped their CO2 from 45 down to about 27, 26. So let's say we dropped the CO2 just about 20, just to make the math really easy. If we dropped the or dropped the CO2 by 20, the pH should come up by 0.16, right? Because for every 10 change in the CO2, it goes the the pH changes in the opposite direction by 0.8. And so we dropped the CO2 20, and so the pH should come up by about 0.16. And if we add that um, uh, to our original post-innovation pH, our post-innovation pH was a very deadly 7.08. But now that we have helped him maximally compensate for his CO2 side again, his pH should come up by about 0.16. And now we all of a sudden have a pH of 7.24. And we are once again appropriately compensating for this patient's acidosis, as we know that the current entitled CO2 target that we have is somewhere between 25 and 30, um, which matches really well with that pH of 7.24. And there you have it. That was the ABG Q&A. Um, I thought that it was going to be one little itty bitty podcast, ended up turning into a two-parter uh, uh, pretty darn quickly. Uh, but I appreciate everybody coming and hanging out today. As always, if you have any questions or comments or any suggestions for further episodes, feel free to reach out to me at kaisercpr at gmail.com. Uh, that's K-I-S-E-R-C-P-R at gmail.com. And I will see you guys in two weeks.